So we were promised a new format in July 2020, and we got a new format. But no, it wasn't the 100. In fact, it wasn't even just two teams. The Kites, the Kingfishers and the Eagles competed in three-team cricket in South Africa. Hello and welcome to ESPN Cricket for Stump Mike. I'm Karthik Ayer and we're joined today by Firdos Munda and Varun Shetty and find out whether they embraced 3TC. But first though, Firdos takes us through the Black Lives Matter movement within South Africa sport, which dominated the lead-up to the event. See you on the other side. So this week on the Stump Mike podcast is all about the 3TC, the three-team cricket tournament. And to discuss 3TC with us, we have Firdos Munda from South Africa. Hey Firdos, how is it having cricket back in South Africa? A little bit strange, to be honest. It was um, obviously played behind closed doors and actually in the... Are you saying the, the, the strange part was not three teams playing a single game? Oh yeah, and that. Good point. But interesting to to kind of see uh, the return of cricket on quite a significant day for us. Obviously the birth of Nelson Mandela. And actually, you know, now that you've mentioned strange, it's also the middle of winter. So it's worth mentioning that cricket returned in the middle of winter. We've just come through a serious cold front in the Cape and it hit the Johannesburg area quite badly. So this is very unusual that we're playing cricket in the middle of winter with three teams in the same game in the epicenter of a pandemic. Okay, but before we get to the actual game, though, Firdos, we need to talk about the lead-up to 3DC. It was centered around two very important topics. Uh, One was, of course, the Black Lives Matters movement and the coronavirus pandemic. Particularly in the lead-up, it it started with Lungi Ngidi expressing his support for BLM, which led to a few racially charged comments in South Africa's cricket circles during this period. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to just note that Lungi Ngidi didn't come out completely unprompted and, you know, kind of wanting to make a stand on his own. He was asked a question at a press conference um, about whether he thought that South African cricketers would be supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, he was up at that press conference because he'd won the T20 award at CSA's annual award. So, you know, if somebody else had been up at that press conference, they would have been asked the same question. And then it may well have been them that was caught at the center of this. So, Ngidi, to his credit, you know, he's a young man and um, has come through some very trying circumstances in his youth. Um, He was the son or is the son of two domestic workers at a school and his life would probably not have turned out the way it had turned out if not for some of the transformation policies we have in place, um, which really allowed the immense talent that he has to be recognized. So he gave a wonderful answer and really spoke incredibly well about how he hopes South African cricket would stand together in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and saying it's an issue that should be taken seriously. And then that prompted a backlash from former players, uh, all of whom were white, really saying that Ngidi shouldn't be speaking for the totality of South African cricket or shouldn't be telling his teammates what to do, which is really not what he was doing. And then that prompted a subsequent backlash from players of colour in this country, 32 of whom signed a document and five current coaches, among them were the likes of Herschel Gibbs, Ashwell Prince, and then Hachi Mamla issued a statement on his own, really backing Ngidi and saying that the issue of Black Lives Matter is important. I think partly why this issue has blown up in South Africa is that you've got to remember, legally, this country is probably the last bastion of 
white supremacy in that apartheid only ended 26 years ago. And we're still grappling with this issue of racial discrimination, as we've seen in the last couple of weeks. So uh, you mentioned that he copped criticism. It was players like Pat Simcox, Walter Ripena, Rudy Stein, Brian McMillan. What they were asking him to do was to be vocal about the murders of white farmers in the country. Yeah, that's right. And to contextualize that, the percentage of white farm murders to the total murder percentage in this country is less than 0.01%. So while nobody is trivializing the fact that farmers do get murdered, white and black farmers get murdered in this country, and that there is a problem there, um, to conflate the two issues just really didn't make sense. The, the farm murder issue is worrying. And, you know, people would, would look to other African countries like our neighbors, Zimbabwe, where there's been uh, land being reclaimed and brutalities on that side. You know, that's not what we're dealing with here in South Africa. It's a much, much less hostile issue, I suppose. You know, nobody getting murdered is the right thing. But I think conflating those two issues was wrong on the part of, of the four cricketers you mentioned. And, you know, it's it's just using the Black Lives Matter movement as a platform to really rally about something completely different. Uh, you mentioned that he received support from many of his fellow cricketers, including Hashim Amla. It was Faf Duplessis' message, though, which, uh, which I felt personally was a really poignant because he, being the most recent captain just before Dick October captaincy of South Africa's cricket team across all formats, he mentioned having got it wrong before to quote him in terms of matters of colour. Yeah, so I mean, I just want to start this little section by saying that it took white cricketers quite a few days before any of them said anything. And the first one was Rassi van der Dissen, who was actually replying to a popular journalist, and he, he replied in the Afrikaans language, expressing his support for Black Lives Matter. That was followed by Dwayne Pretorius, Anrik Nokia, and then we saw the statement from Faf Duplessis. So what Faf Duplessis was referring to in his Instagram post was earlier this year when Temba Bavuma, who's the only black African batsman in the current test side and in fact in South Africa's history, uh, was dropped for the New Year's test. He had a hip injury for the Boxing Day test against England and then he recovered, but he wasn't picked for the New Year's test following the poor tour of India. And Faf Duplessis at the time, when asked about the you know, the, the, the optics, I guess, of South African cricket dropping their only black African batsman, said, we don't see colour, which was, you know, at its best, quite a naive comment in, in that South Africa has always seen colour and it's seen colour through slavery, colonialism, apartheid, and even now in democracy. So it was a naive comment which really didn't speak to the nuances and the the the, the redoing that South Africa needs to do for its society and and... I think that was what he was talking about. You know, Duplessis then found himself in the middle of a storm because he had a poor series two. And there he was saying that Bavuma needed to score runs when actually he also needed to score runs. And I think it, it all kind of uh, snowballed. And eventually we saw him stand down from the captaincy. I think he's a principled man and a caring man. And certainly his foundation we've seen has been doing some excellent work through this COVID pandemic in that they're distributing food to the hungry and you know, most of the disadvantaged people in our country are of colour because most of the people in our country are of colour. So he's been doing some really great work. And um, I thought him reflecting on maybe where he had said something that didn't quite fit the mood was quite important. And then really leading the way for the country's white cricketers to stand together and to stand with their counterparts of colour. If I remember correctly, it was Ashwell Prince who put up a thread on Twitter and I 
personally i thought that thread was was excellent listener if you haven't if you haven't read it you need to get on to ashwin's twitter account right now pause this podcast and go read that thread it was about him comparing his stats to his fellow cricketers during that period and the opportunities that that they received for those did, did you see the thread your thoughts on it yeah i mean i've seen several of uh, ashwin's twitter essays if we can call them that um, and you know i think ashwin is a very important voice in south african cricket you know he he made the comparison to his brother lloyd who he says was more talented than him and who unfortunately didn't get opportunities we can think of so many families where that's the case the amla brothers are another one where ahmed amla was just pre democracy and went to a completely different school and set up to hashim amla who went to a, a very good school because it was post democracy so you know there's so many examples of people who missed out and and what ashwin and the point that ashwin has tried to make throughout his career and even now is that there has long seemed to be a different standard which applies to players of color so they would often be quicker to be dropped than white players and slower to be picked than white players and that really speaks to mindset it really speaks to what you know maybe we'll talk about in an academic term as implicit or unconscious bias where you know primarily white coaches are picking primarily white players because those are the people they automatically trust and believe can do the job and we've seen that problem for several years but there's also a big economic problem in that young people of color who are who are looking to begin their careers when you're starting out in cricket you know you're not guaranteed that you're going to make money from this thing and so they will not be able to give themselves many years of waiting to see if they can make money out of it before they need to actually go and get a job and so you know what we see is at professional level a lot of players of color who reach that stage where they're ready to start a career unless they're given a contract at a franchise or a province will have to then give up on that dream to go and play a job uh, to go and get a job i beg your pardon whereas white players will have a, a longer lead in in terms of maybe they'll have financial money or generational support and they can spend a little bit longer and then there's the socioeconomic stuff in that you know for a young black cricketer to get to one of the country's premier grounds to train and these grounds are located primarily in affluent formerly white only areas they may need to take three or four different taxis they may need to really put themselves out they could end up being late they could end up maybe having equipment stolen or whatever the case may be it's much more difficult for them so ashwell's broader point about just how tough it is for cricketers of color and certainly how much tougher it was maybe when he was coming up 15 20 years ago uh, is really valid and it's really worth looking into when we consider why South Africa have only had nine black africans play test cricket and the majority of our players kept since readmission are still white and um, that is a problem in a country which is majority black so ashwell's comments and of course lungi ngidi's comments it's it's fair to say that it's probably gone beyond cricket as well because we've come across articles on ESPN where rugby which is probably South Africa's biggest sport there was a rugby group that lamented the uninterrupted exclusion of black head coaches and top administrators like you said the the stuff that you can do after playing the game this was led by uh this was led by of course former Springboks coach Peter de Villiers and it's it, it has it seems to have taken i don't know South Africa's uh, sporting psyche to 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 embrace the BLM movement Yeah, I think so. I just want to correct you on there. So football would be South Africa's most popular sport. Ah, yes. <laughs> um and cricket is actually if you believe the numbers the second most popular um with rugby coming in third despite the fact that the rugby guys are the only ones that have won the World Cup three times no doubt. 
you know, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is a complete turnaround in terms of discussion and, and as you say, taking over the psyche of South African sport. So racism has never been far from our conversation in this country. It's something that we really grapple with on many levels, whether it's employment or just generally, you know, the way we socialize and live. And it's definitely never been far from sport either. I mean, you would know from the last summer that the Temba Bavuma issue dominated the cricket conversation, as well as the issue of Graham Smith, Mark Boucher and Dr. Jacques Fall coming into Cricket South Africa, taking over from a primarily black administration. We had these three very well-known white men. So there's a lot going on in terms of those dynamics and power plays and Sometimes we, we confuse, you know, the race with who's doing the right or wrong thing as well. I do, I do think this is a turning point. I think we're seeing more players of color willing to come out and share their struggles and their stories. Um, I think we now need to go and interrogate exactly what was happening over the 29 years that we've had unity or sporting unity in this country from 1991. And kind of, you know, a lot of it is thinking about did we re-enter the international frame too early because really it was unity and then we were playing international sport again without really having time to you know that was even before our first democratic elections so really trying to understand how it is that our sporting structures have been constructed and what it is that's being done you know people talk about grassroots programs and I can tell you there are a huge number of grassroots programs and sure the COVID pandemic is going to affect that because it will affect finances across so many sectors but you know we see a lot of grassroots programs township cricket rugby in townships, all that sort of stuff. And I don't really think that that's where the issue is. I think the issue is that most of our national cricketers still come from a group of small elite schools. And to go to those schools, you need to either get a scholarship or have the funding. And you will inevitably then, if you're of color, be taken out of your community and possibly staying in a boarding school. And so the social dynamics of that really need to be looked at. And Hopefully this represents some sort of a turning point because, you know, we're still a country where our national teams don't really represent the nation and where we've got people saying, you know, especially in rugby, I'm not going to support South Africa. I'd rather support the All Blacks or in cricket, we've got a big Indian diaspora here who might support the Indian team or the Pakistani team. And, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, sure, we look to the words of Nelson Mandela who says sport has the power to change the world. And the power to unify in our country, it's actually been a source of great division. And so we really need to look at ways that we can make the sport more inclusive and bring us together. You know, we're a nation grappling with a pandemic. We're high up in the numbers in the world where we've got a lot of economic issues. Um, there are very few things that make us happy these days. So maybe sport can be one of them. So it's fair to say that the fortnight in the lead up to uh, the 3DC was was pretty fractious. And it wasn't just Cricket South Africa embracing the Black Lives Matter movement. It was also the fact that this the match was held to be to be played at Centurion in the Hauteng province, which, from what I hear, was is one of the epicenters of the coronavirus pandemic in South Africa. Yeah, I mean that that's really the other part of it. So the Gauteng province is definitely now the worst affected area in the country. Case numbers are much higher than elsewhere in the country, and they're rising much quicker than elsewhere in the country. And so you know to to get players from other parts of the country and put them into this epicenter of a pandemic raised some ethical questions among certain people. And then there was also the testing. So, you know, we're a country with limited resources and it's imperative that we're testing healthcare workers and essential workers rather than sportsmen. And so when I spoke to some epidemiologists before the game, you know, their argument was really that sportsmen shouldn't be tested 
at all really it's really about them knowing when they feel thick and then not participating in training rather than us using the tests on them and so what we had was a situation where players were tested before they returned for training and that was towards the end of june and then they were tested again before they boarded the flights to johannesburg for the 3tc but they were not tested in the lead up to the game and we saw for example quinton de Kock had to pull out of the match because uh, a close relative of his had tested positive so this is going to be difficult in, in terms of how to get South African sport back on the park. We have not had other sport in this country, even though the Premier Soccer League is mid-season and are considering coming back to play and they want to finish their season and they're talking about a bio-bubble. They haven't returned yet and they probably won't until sometime in August. We've had no rugby, although this is rugby season. Um, cricket is the first sport to really have, have come back and it definitely, you know, there were some questions as to why they wanted to come back in the middle of winter. But what they did was they used the money raised from the 3TC to go to the hardship fund, which is created to assist those who've lost livelihoods because of the pandemic. So there was a charitable underpinning to them. Of course, they're also a non-contact sport, unlike soccer and rugby. So that helped them out a little bit. But definitely, I think there were some concerns going in. Um, and we certainly don't know when we will see cricket again in the country. You know, we're heading towards the peak now. And we're expecting that we'll peak between August and September. So, yeah, even, even the summer could be at risk. The concerns, of course, are understandable, but as among the cricket fraternity and among the cricket fans themselves in South Africa, what what was the mood like before before this game? Because it, it's a new format, it's it's seeing some of the best players in South Africa once again on a cricket field. It's it's A.B. de Villiers you can watch again. So what, what was the mood like? I can't give you an answer with complete certainty because I've been at home for the last four months and haven't been really <laughs> Um But I think... You know, I think maybe there was a sense of anticipation. And I also think, remember, South Africa as a cricket community is pretty conservative. So there was a lot of questions as to why a new format needed to be played and why we couldn't just be playing a T20 or T10 or some other format of cricket that we know which involves two teams. So I think there people were a little bit dubious. Um, and then, to be honest with you, I think because the Black Lives Matter movement dominated the build-up, you know, I think there was a bit of division in that, you know, not all people in the country wanted to see Cricket South Africa putting support behind the Black Lives Matter movement. And so there were also some comments about people saying, we're not going to watch, we're not going to be involved. On the day, hard to say, it was an empty stadium. And Supersport Park is really a, a family venue where people go and they have the bride stands going on the grass embankment and there's a swimming pool in the one stand. And to see it empty was quite odd. Um, and I'm sure you could see the grass was yellow. It's winter, it's dry. So the vibe at the ground, they tried to create some vibe by having these ball boys with fishing nets to collect the ball, which I thought was quite cute, um, but certainly not much else in the way of vibe. Um, and I haven't really seen much in the way of reaction. I think people are just like, oh, that happened, and they're, they're kind of getting on with things um, because things are, are quite difficult and stressful here. So I, I don't know if we can call it a huge success. Um, it was certainly experimental, and you know, maybe when people see more of it, we could gauge better, um, but certainly the money going to charity would have been a big success. And now to discuss uh, the match in itself, uh, let's bring on to the pod uh, Varun Shetty. Varun was, of course, one of our people on the live blog. Varun, how's it going? Hey, Karthik. Kai Fedos, how's it going? Good, good, Varun. So you you were on the live blog for the game along with our colleague Deva. And now here in India, we have been latching on to any cricket that's coming our way. Because it, it's slowly starting to feel that here in the subcontinent, we'll probably be last in getting any sort of cricket back. Uh, we've had really two really good test matches. And with 
a new format with some of South Africa's best current cricketers playing. Where was your excitement level at? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty exciting actually. Uh, I mean, I I was extremely grateful for Test match cricket being back on, and of course, it was happening simultaneously. Uh, but just just the joy of watching a white ball, you know. York a batsman and hit off stump. Uh, I think <laughs> Glenton Stroman provided that for us. My God, I've missed that. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's something about white ball cricket and just even the aesthetic of all of it that I really missed. So I was really looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I think I you know what I think it was a pretty good match. I think we we have something here with this format. Uh, I think we will surely see more of it. I sure hope we see more of it. Mm, your sentiment, of course, is shared with, I think, 60% of our readers on the live blog who said that they too were excited. Uh, some of them, of course, like Firdos, just like, well, it's like, just, just, just play your T20. Uh, Firdos, now going back to, of course, in the lead up, there was a Black Lives Matter movement. We knew that the t-shirts, because they had been printed, couldn't have the message, but I think everyone wore the armband. And players then took a knee, as we have seen in sports that have returned across the globe. Yeah, so that was quite a moment because really what we saw, you know, we had a week of quite tortured conversations and, and real emotion coming out. Uh, Dwayne Pretorius was the first to publicly say that he would take a knee. And let me just add that, you know, one of the other issues that we've had in South Africa is this conflation of the Black Lives Matter movement with some certain political elements like communism or Marxism. And in apartheid South Africa, we had two great enemies the Roy Khafar, the red enemy, and the Swat Khafar, the black enemy, communism and black people. So, um, you know, the, this kind of conflation is really a big thing in especially more conservative white communities. And so for Dwayne Pretorius to, to say that was quite a big thing. And then we saw not just the those guys on the field and the 24 players involved take the knee, but also Cricket South Africa staff, and that included Graham Smith who had earlier been pretty silent on the issue. He came out on the eve of the match saying that he supported it. You know, it's very important that Graham Smith, who was the longest-serving captain in the Democratic era, is part of this conversation. And he was next to Makai Antini, who had earlier in the week spoken about his experiences of racial discrimination. So to see the two of them side-by-side taking the knee, definitely, I suppose, symbolically, it, it, it said something. And then through the match, as you say, the players wore armbands, but probably the moment of the match was Andile Pekukwayo in the final innings. I don't even know how we say it, like in the sixth innings or the final innings or whatever. <laughs> um, he, he bowled Heinrich Klassen and uh, pulled up his, his playing kit and underneath he had Black Lives Matter t-shirt and he gave the fisted salute. And I think that was a moment that really spoke to a lot of us who have watched what's been going on. Andile Pekukwayo, also an example of a young man from a disadvantaged background who perhaps wouldn't have had the opportunities that he's had now if he was living in a pre-democratic era. And so really to see that come through, Biren Hendricks posted a very beautiful picture of him taking a knee with Smith and Makaya in the background. And I think one of the moments actually was on commentary when Ntini said to Smith, when his son Tando uh, came on to bowl and said to Smith, you know, that that's my kid. Will you look after him? Uh, and Smith, who's the director of cricket, said, yes, we will, definitely. And, you know, Fontini, who's really uh, been through it and the first black African to represent the country, um, obviously faced a lot of discrimination and really had had an uphill battle some of the time to entrust his son to the captain under whom maybe he was discriminated against from what he's saying. I thought that was quite a poignant moment in the whole thing. So, 
Yeah, there was a lot of emotion for sure. And it was it was really interesting to see how it played out. I must say it's in the days since then gone very quiet. When when Antini spoke, I think, uh, I mean, I'm coming from a place where obviously I can't relate to what, what Antini said, but it just felt so sad when he said that on the team bus where he sat, the other players wouldn't sit next to him. If he sat in the front, they would sit behind. If if he sat behind, they would sit in front. And it it, it was... It was great to hear him hear him on air. We 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 should dedicate a segment to NTD's commentary as well because while it was so emotional, while discussing Black Lives Matters, when he was talking about the actual game, when he was watching his son bowl, it was it was hilarious. He was he was screaming into the mic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Makai Antini is an exuberant character, which a lot of us know. And in fact, I remember a domestic game where where Tando picked up four wickets. And I think was was quite close to getting the fifth, but then someone else took the last wicket, and so he didn't get his fifth wicket, and it would have been his first franchise fifer. And Antini was kind of bounding all over the field, and you know, saying to Tando, "The first fifer you ever get, you better give me the ball." And I think it must be quite hard work being Tando Antini as well some of the time. But um, yeah, he's definitely you know he, he like any father wants to see his son succeed. Um, is really involved and unfortunately hasn't had the opportunity to coach much in South Africa or be involved in mentoring a lot in South Africa. Maybe that will change as this discussion grows legs. But really, he's definitely very involved, very energetic. I mean, the Makai Antini we know from his playing days to now has not lost any of his energy. He still cycles 60 kilometers a day. He runs 20 kilometers. Um, you know, he's got it all. I just want to put one point into the the bus story that you told uh, Kartik, which was that, you know, one of the things Ntini didn't clarify there was which era that was taking place under. So he played under under Pollock and under Smith. And, you know, I don't really know if that happened in the early phase of his career or later on in his career. And I think the task for a lot of us now is to look at the stories that we are, are hearing and try and contextualize them in some way so that we can really understand, you know, what what is going on. I don't say that the the discrimination that the players of color are telling us about hasn't happened because we've seen so many examples, you know, where where you see different groups of people associating with only their own race. And so, yeah, it's just really interesting times in, in terms of looking at all of that. So now to three-team cricket in itself. This game, of course, was played by the Kites versus the Kingfishers versus the Eagles. Varun, you have one minute. Explain to us the rules, please. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I don't know where to start because uh, the first real difficulty I had was remembering the team's names in uh, itself because every, uh, what, half an hour or so, there were different teams on the field. Uh, even though it's really only three teams, I already found that <laughs> quite hard to keep up with. But uh, other than that, you know, it's not that different from the cricket we know. You just essentially split an innings over two halves and you get three teams to do that so uh if you you know once i'm i'm pretty sure once people started watching this game the supposed complexity of it sort of might have dissolved for them because in the end it's still two teams playing out there they're just playing six or eight or how many ever overs it takes when the 90 over format comes in uh, which of course is a thing we have to discuss uh but in many senses it's not that not that difficult. It, at the end of the day, you still win if you score more runs than the others. Uh, you still uh, have wickets. You still have the concept of boundaries and free hits and whatnot. There's, there's not really much of a gimmick around it at all. It's just 
in my in my eyes it's just cricket that is split across so that you can get more players uh, playing really uh, which of course is what makes it a direct a direct parallel to what a lot of us have been saying in the lead up to gully cricket but varun i did still pop up and ask you halfway through who's winning <laughs> yeah i remember this yeah fedos didn't know uh, who was winning uh, i at this point i had sort of understood the pace of it all and i was just telling her what the first half scores were and then i realized you know that might not have been helpful at all if you're coming in halfway through this match trying to figure out what's happening but yeah it's it's just the constant rotation and the break in the middle might seem a little challenging to understand but uh, once people uh, watch this game i don't think they'll have any problem grasping it at all because it's it's just cricket with few overs and fewer fielders i know you say that but despite the fact that they were wearing such distinctly colored jerseys <laughs> in the first half it was all a blur man like you just couldn't you couldn't get a grasp of it but but yeah i feel you when you say that once as the game goes on and it did take long i think fedos and i were discussing this before we we came on air varun it took it took some time to finish like i was damn damn excited but during the middle period there if it wasn't for maka antini's commentary i would have felt a bit dull yeah i totally agree uh, and in that sense they're a little unfortunate that uh, this format had to be uh, played now in the middle of a pandemic and it's also unfortunate because we don't know when we level get a trial of it again uh, but it certainly suffered for atmosphere because this is uh, tailor made for uh, having crowds out there because every other rotation you have such incredible players like in different contexts almost every time a player goes out so uh, this was designed uh, to be sort of superstar cricket for crowds and uh, yeah it's a, it's a bit unfortunate that it had to be played in an empty ground but uh, also yeah the overall atmosphere of it we lost a little bit to the fact that even though there were i mean if it's six periods it's six rotations they took time they took a lot of time and uh, I, i can i we can probably excuse the the mid innings break uh, which was slightly longer because they had some sort of a ceremony and you know it's inaugural you got to build marketing around it maybe maybe that's something we won't see uh, going on but uh, yeah it was it was still like i said earlier it, it was very cricket also in the sense that so much of it was just meandering you know <laughs> so much of it was uh, time between innings and time between this cricket there's so many intervals and we all know cricket and its love for intervals and uh, the annoying weight that it gives us so that part was still very much uh, prevalent in this format it it certainly lost uh, some of the atmosphere that it could have generated otherwise for those one question for you to prep you for your stump pike you clash with kartik krishna swami who scored the first boundary in the three team cricket format this is totally unfair cuz i had a problem <laughs> with this half can i take a guess and say aiden markram varun that is awful for those oh god <laughs> <laughs> give, give the answer varun first of all uh, aiden markram's team batted uh, in the second period so <laughs> why do i know so much okay it was yanvin malan uh, it, it it came in uh, the third over of the new format which of course was a bit of a surprise as well but uh, i actually don't remember where he hit it probably to find like or something but he followed it up with a four and then a six so he took up like the excitement in a in a span of three balls after what has been 
what was basically them trying to get themselves in which is ridiculous in this format uh, of course the eagles ended up winning winning the first ever 3tc game this was ab's eagles of course they they amassed a massive 164 in their 12 overs in total and we have to have to talk about ab de villiers he was i mean he was dropped twice he lost his shoe i think when he was running once he missed his stumping he gave away overthrows but at the end of the day a lot of what we all of what we remember from him is that tremendous hitting i feel like i spent too much of my career talking about ab de villiers <laughs> um what i will say is that he was the only captain that didn't change before the match so <laughs> um i i'm not that surprised that his team won we know from his time with south africa he's actually not such a great captain even though he's such a great batsman um and yeah i'm not that surprised that he was the batsman that ended up kind of catching eyes you know one one thing that we've we've known through this lockdown and our lockdown's been particularly strict here in south africa is very few guys would have been able to have a net session So AB's one of the guys who actually has a little net uh, in his home gym which is I think he showed it off on Instagram and um I think he's been hitting a few balls unlike like Quinton de Kock we didn't see in the game but he said he hadn't even picked up a bat so that might have made for interesting viewing too um and I guess actually Kartik to to just take this AB conversation forward into cricket matters one of the big questions is is he going to still look to play a T20 World Cup we know the tournament's been postponed now you know i i don't know he he's got a third child on the way uh i don't know if he will look to come back to play it in late 2021 we're talking 15 16 18 months from now if if there's one thing for those i was watching breakfast with champions which is a show by gaurav kapoor and he he had ab de villiers on it i think last year i was watching it recently and he said that he would even play the 2023 cricket world cup if ms dhoni was still around so we we'll we'll just have to wait and watch and that's only in november 2023 <laughs> yeah okay so we asked one question to fidoz uh, i have a stump thank you question for you varun because you have your first round clash with uh, who was it with it's against hemant coming up as well so who scored the first half century of 3tc that would be makram see i knew it i knew <laughs> one of the questions yeah no makram was really impressive i think he was uh, pretty much the only batsman who uh, brought any life to that first half to be very fair uh, john john smuts was around but uh, i don't think the kites if i if i'm getting his teams name right if the kites were really you know exciting in that first half so that first half was all aiden makram and it was it was beautiful to watch you you mentioned the first half a couple of times now and and while we understand that the si- sample size size can't get smaller were there any patterns that you spotted like none of the three teams were were accelerating at all in the first half yeah like you said it's it's a little difficult to uh, call patterns uh, especially considering the fact that a lot of these guys haven't played professional cricket in how many months uh, and i suppose you, you could sort of give them that leeway because i i feel like whether if it was 3tc or t20 or uh, red ball cricket they would have all taken some time to get their eyes in so um, we should probably give them that leeway but uh, no noticeable patterns really kartik uh, honestly all i could really gauge was that uh, it felt a lot like an open net session which is something teams do uh, from time to time is uh, it's comparable to perhaps uh, in football when the attacking unit and the defensive unit display a sort of a skill game 
uh, so cricket teams do this as well. They have open net sessions, just the bowlers fielding and whatnot. Uh, in many senses, it was it was like that because <laughs> the the format there is usually you have three guys on one side to retrieve the ball, three three guys on the other side, and we've gone and made a format out of it. So that's it. It felt a little like that. One thing that 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 was kind of exciting and. This was when I think the Eagles got done with their first six overs and it was Markham and AB that was not out. So you already know that their next six overs when they come out to bat in the second half, half is much watch television. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I say it, it's a lot like open nets, but uh, another sort of way to describe it would be it's a, it's a really compressed version of the death overs. Uh, and uh, the team that has AB in the second half is most likely going to win. So, um, yeah, it was, like you said, uh, Markram and De Villiers and it was, I think, a Duplessis and also uh, John John Smuts and Babuma in the second half to come out. Uh, I was I was a little uh, interested to see how they would go in the second half and I think uh, the Eagles sort of uh, won that early battle. I don't think the teams really knew what a good score would be in the first half. They were just feeling their way and trying to keep the wickets in hand. Uh, luckily for the Eagles, they managed to get, I think, two or three more runs than the second-place team. So, they had that first mover advantage, if, if I can borrow that phrase. So, uh, to have that and to also have AB and Markram uh, looking in great form, and it, was, it, it, it worked out completely for them. And, <laughs> and the other two teams couldn't even get anywhere close. Yeah, it worked out well for the Eagles. They were they ended up boring Toking Fishers at the end and they managed to defend their total comfortably. Uh, Firdos, this is of course not not the last of 3TC that that we're going to see. There are there are plans to expand it. There are plans to make this a proper format in South Africa domestic cricket. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's important just to note that this 3TC is not a cricket South Africa owned product. It's owned by a company of which uh, Francois Pina, the former World Cup winning captain is one of the shareholders and so I think it really depends kind of where this company wants to take it the the thought from what I understand is to turn it into a development format and so you would have it in schools where you know maybe you've got one or two schools that are not as elite as another one and then they all get to play together in the same game so that's kind of the idea that I heard about it um I'm not sure if the the rules or do you call them laws or maybe um Somebody else is going to give us an answer to that question. Uh, but I don't know how easy it's going to be to explain necessarily to kids playing in a development format. Maybe the one thing that people will enjoy is that last man standing kind of thing where when you're seven down, or I suppose if they take it to 11, when you're 10 down, the investment continues. I know there are plans to have it played among full 11s rather than eights, which is what we saw um, uh, on, the, on the exhibition game. And then there's also this idea that it will uh, change in number of overs. I mean, 90 overs, I think, is a very, very long time to have this kind of thing. I'm not sure if 90 overs is how that will will play out because this one was only 36 and we already said it was taking quite a long time. So, yeah, that could be interesting as well. Um, And, you know, the other thing which I really think we we need to bear in mind is that Cricket South Africa would want to put on another version of the Mzanzi Super League this summer and we don't know when that could be. I, I can't see us seeing another 3TC game anytime very, very soon. But um, maybe if, you know, as, as the calendar opens up and as we start sort of adjusting to this new normal or new whatever we want to call it, then 
that that might be where we see more of this. But I think for now it will remain a once-off, and um, you know maybe we'll see it later on in a in a year or two's time. I'm all for 3DC as long as you give me those ball boys with the fishing net in their hand catching the balls. I mean that that was that was some excellent television right there, especially when I think Varun, you'll remember this. I think he missed a few. Or a couple of them missed a few, and then finally, I think Pretorius was caught twice in the same over by the net guys. Yeah, there was a whole redemption arc there. <laughs> it is, uh, I suppose, in keeping with cricket, that uh, when whenever cricket is in its longer formats, and to be fair, this was a bit bit of a longer format, <laughs> uh, compressed into four hours. Uh, there is a redemption arc for everyone, and there was one for uh, those guys who uh, uh, Makai Antini was calling fishermen throughout the game, which. Also, I think was great television, uh, but but just on that subject of uh, you know using this at maybe domestic level or using it uh, in developmental cricket, I think it could really work even if it was ninety overs, because essentially the one thing it really does for everyone is uh, I know we we said it was long and meandering, but if you say for example have a five match series of just three DC games, uh, that's plenty of cricket that you can finish in two weeks so just to think of it from a development perspective if you have say an under 19 world cup coming up and you want to use your best uh, you want to figure out your best 11 and you have a bunch of uh, reserves i'm uh, sorry a, a 25 or a 30 man squad the fastest way to get all of them cricket would to be literally have a, a three match series or uh, or just maybe three two-day games of 90 overs that are like 45 overs a day because in very little time, you're getting to look at everyone. So I, I see that as a potential upside to this. And I don't know, uh, like Fido said, this is a bit of a private entity. It's not a board-backed initiative. But uh, if if cricket administrators and coaches had been watching in this format, they might be quite allured to the, uh, the potential of what they could uh, do with this. Even if it's not in an official capacity, because uh, teams do have intra-squad games and the like, and this would be a great way to get a lot of cricket and a lot of uh, lot of cricketers and see how they do, and it wouldn't take uh, too much uh, logistics because otherwise, if you have three teams, you have to play two matches in in the traditional format. Here, you get three teams over two days, and you can have three four matches. So. I think that's a great idea, and and Varun, to your point, I mean, we kind of already saw that it, it's taken a Glenton Stearman, who some of us might know from domestic cricket in South Africa, but who wouldn't have been known too much elsewhere, and kind of put him at the forefront of, of the conversation about who will replace Vernon Philander, for example. So I think it's been great for, for alerting us to some new talents. I mean, we got to see Tando Antini, who we've spoken about. Um, and I think for, for that reason, and, and in terms of widening the pool, you know, South Africa's had a tough summer of cricket and, and really looking to mine their depths as much as possible, maybe this, this does have a future. Who else impressed you, Varun? Yeah, I was impressed by Jon Fortuan, uh, the left-arm spinner. Uh, uh, it seems like whatever the format it is, you just throw on a left-arm spinner and the batsmen suddenly don't know how to score runs. Uh, but that's not to take away from Fortuan, who actually had some really good uh, uh, South Africa A series here when he came to play a tri-series here in India. I think it was last year or, or two years ago. And uh, I think he's broken into the ODI team, hasn't he? I think uh, he's uh, pretty much at the start of a good limited overs career for South Africa right now. Uh, he impressed me. Uh, you know, 
Thando also was impressive if he hadn't <laughs> if he hadn't uh, dropped AB de Villiers. I think his his match would have ended a lot differently. He was uh, impressive with his lines. He nailed every yorker he tried in the second half. So yeah, he was he was fun to watch as well. Yeah, you know what cynics would say, and by cynics I mean one of y'all on the live blog that this format means there are two losers. But at the end of the day, the Eagles won gold, the Kites won silver. And the Kingfishers won bronze. I mean, it's a podium finish in cricket. Is is that prepping for the Olympics with those? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think it's just ensuring that South African batsmen don't, don't get too depressed that they can't chase totals. So everybody wins something. Um, but it could be, I mean, now we can mention the Olympics. It could be a fun idea to have, instead of T20 at the Olympics, you have 3TC at the Olympics so that there's winners all round. Uh, why not? I mean, these are these are innovative times that we're in now so we might as well make use of all the new kind of ideas and concepts we're coming up with okay so final thoughts from the two of y'all uh varun about about the format in itself about about the game be sure be sure you had a good good time doing doing the live blog as well this is something for sure that you would like to see again yeah absolutely uh, for all the points that are mentioned in terms of developmental cricket and all that uh, the players itself will get better at it. They will figure it out. They will. We will see new strategies for sure. Uh, even T Twenty cricket took a few years before it had, you know, uh, designated strategies that teams went for. So we would see that if it happened. Uh, I don't know how it would do actually in in terms of uh, competitive competition because uh, the losing the bronze team can always say the silver and the gold <laughs> sort of conspired not to make us win. There's there's a there's a bit of an opening for that, so we'd have to see how that would work out. But cricket-wise, I think it was it it worked. It was it wasn't too hard once you saw it. When once you started watching it, there wasn't a lot to keep up with. Perhaps the scoring systems will evolve. The uh, way broadcasters show it on TV will evolve for sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm very much hoping we see a lot more of this uh, actually, and uh, I I hope. There's also a 90-over version. That that would be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Firdos, I'll leave the final word with you. And on a more broader spectrum, South Africa cricket has has been through quite a bit in the last uh, in the last couple of weeks. And where do we look at South Africa cricket from now on? What are the questions that need to be answered in terms of embracing the Black Lives Matter movement? In terms of asking questions like we mentioned of of the past and in this format of itself. Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. I mean, I think the the real truth is we're facing a period of even more uncertainty. You know, the postponement of the T20 World Cup and the possible rescheduling of the IPL to that window means that I'm not really sure when we'll see the men's cricketers back on the park. There's talk of the women's cricketers going to play a series in England. India was supposed to be part of that series and then they've pulled out of it. So again, we're not really sure what's, what's happening with that. And I think we're just facing probably another month or two of great uncertainty. While the FTP gets re-looked at, South Africa have a series against West Indies, which was due to take place at the end of this month. Obviously, that will have to be rescheduled as well. Um, even something like Mark Boucher's contract, you know, he was contracted till the 2023-50 over World Cup. That's now been moved. So does he get an automatic extension or what do they do about that? Hopefully these next couple of months as South African cricket plots the way forward, and that will also include, just by the way, dealing with the matter of suspended CEO Tabang Marowi and whether whether he comes back, whether he faces disciplinary action, who knows. So, you know, there's so much that South African cricket needs to deal with in the next two to three months that I think when it comes back, we may have a slightly clearer picture of where things are going forward, whether that's from an 
inclusion point of view, whether that's from a rewriting and relooking at history point of view, uh, and whether it's about really getting back on the field, you know, because the, the, the summer that went by was disappointing. South Africa only won one of five trophies on offer, um, a lot of change, quite a few retirements, even somebody like Faf Duplessis, who was looking to play at this T20 World Cup, you know, now it's been postponed. Um, will he still play? These are all huge questions. And I think the next few months is about unraveling, about searching for answers. I don't know whether 3TC is among them. But considering that South Africa pioneered this format, I do think if there's a 3TC World Cup, they're going to have first dibs on that trophy. And so maybe that'll be the, the one major trophy they finally win. But beyond that, yeah, I guess it's really about watching and waiting and waiting for the, the pandemic to peak and then hopefully to see how we come out of it. Um, you know, maybe not the most positive note to be leaving things on, but very much a, a watch and wait process for the next few months. And, and we're hoping, and I, you know, I say this more as almost like a prayer to whoever is listening, that our summer is not cancelled because we, we've got through the winter okay. If we can get a summer in and we can get cricket on, that'll be fabulous. If our summer is cancelled, you know, it's gonna, it's really, really tough to see where we'd go from there. So, yeah, hoping, hoping, hoping that summer isn't cancelled. Yeah, hopefully it isn't. So, this was the three of us on 3DC and all things South Africa cricket. Thank you for those. Thank you, Varun, for joining us on ESPN Cricket Info Stuff Mike. Thanks, Kartik. See you. Thanks, Kartik. <laughs>